I do have a confession. Um, as you can hear, I'm in the bathtub and I was thinking, you know, I had this on my schedule today to record this podcast episode, but I also am on my period and just, I'm a day bather. Like I'm someone who needs a bath in the daytime, not in the nighttime. I just prefer it. And I don't like to like totally chill out in the bath. I don't like to just close my eyes and nap because that feels dangerous. But I do enjoy sort of like bringing my base anxiety level down by being in water. So I'm recording this episode in the bathtub and in true triple water sign form, I would say. And I'm really excited about it, not just because I'm sitting in a lovely bath at like 11 a.m. on a Friday, but also because this is a Q&A episode. Yay! You like them. You really like them. Where members of the community send in their questions and I try my best to answer them. And I'm very excited because we got voice memos today. So people sent in their questions via voice memo to our text number. We have a text line. It's a phone number and it goes directly to my phone. So hi, it's me on the other end of it. And it's actually like this separate app called community, which is really cool. And to be really honest with you, I hate it when I get texts from like companies, but I also kind of like it when my friends text me, but I also kind of don't like it when my friends text me. I have a complicated relationship with texting. And so we thought it could be cool to start this community line where you could text into us and connect with us. And Honestly, I should be using it more. I get a little bit of stage fright sometimes because I don't want to annoy people with texts. You know what I mean? But then every time I do send a text to the community, everyone's really excited. So kind of between a rock and a hard place there. I just, I got to like get out of my fifis and just do it. You know what I mean? So everyone sent in a message to the text line and that's how we got your voice memos and they're so good. So I'm going to go ahead and answer these questions as best I possibly can. I have a couple of questions that got sent in as emails as well. So I'll try to get to those. I'm going to be cognizant of our time and I can't wait to hopefully answer these for you. All right, let's get into our very first question. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Team Holisticism and hi to all the 12th House podcast listeners. My name is Mackenzie, and my question centers around spiritual activism. How can I make sure that my business is fully supporting spiritual activism and spiritual activists, especially Black, Indigenous, and people of color? I'm starting a human design business, and I want to make sure that I'm reading the charts of current and future activists to inspire and encourage them to believe in themselves and make the changes that they came here to make. That's my question. Love all the work you guys do. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. I love this question. So we talk about the four pillars of intuitive business a lot, growth, revenue, retention, and impact. And I really like to start with these four pillars as the foundations of your business because most of us think about growth and revenue like, duh, because that's our business, right? You don't have a business if you're not growing and if you're not making money off of it or it's not making money, period. And then we think about retention because we're like, oh shit, <laughs> I can't just like 
pit myself out on Instagram all the time and have people do one service or buy one product once from me. I need to really focus on how to get those customers and clients coming back consistently so I can build up monthly recurring revenue or annual recurring revenue or at least a lifetime value of my customer that is higher than the acquisition cost. So we think about retention a lot in the work that we do. But impact's also a really big pillar that I think a lot of people tack on. They don't think of it as their foundation. They think of it as an accessory room, like a mud room or something, when really it is the foundation underneath your house, which is your intuitive business. So Mackenzie, I love that you're already thinking about how to support and be a spiritual activist in what you do. I know this term from Rachel Ricketts, who's an activist in the wellness space, and from her work, Spiritual Activism, she just wrote a book called Do the Work, I think. I haven't read it yet, but I've heard it's amazing. And I think that the question for you, first and foremost, is how can you center impact in your business? And we can do that so many different ways. You know, so often when we deprioritize our impact, it ends up being a line item at the very end of the year. Like, oh, we're donating 1% of what we made to some nonprofit, which isn't bad. Like many businesses don't do that, period. But I wonder if there's a way for us to build this into the actual DNA of the work that we do. And we can do that. And again, so many different ways. We can take alternative perspectives to things like payment and energetic exchange. We can actively divest from capitalism by offering mutual aid resources or by offering sliding scale for what we do. We can offer scholarships for people, self-selecting scholarships, and make those scholarships really easy for them to get. So often, much of mutual aid and scholarship and more equitable pricing or options that are meant to make things more equitable actually are really gatekeepery. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, in order to get this scholarship, you have to fill out this seven paragraph essay and give us your social security number. And it's going to take you three hours to do that. And that's a lot of effort and time. And not that people who want scholarships shouldn't put effort towards them. It's just let's ask ourselves, like, are we making this easy for someone who is already marginalized by society to not experience marginalization? And usually that isn't making them jump through a bunch of hoops to prove how marginalized they are. You get what I'm saying? So I wonder if there, first and foremost, is a way that you can just start thinking about building impact into the DNA of your business. You can do this through the language that you use. You can do this by thoughtfully partnering with people who have the same morals and ethics as you, who have the same stances and who believe in the same causes as you. You can start doing the work yourself, right? Because if you are the root of your business, then whatever like blooms and blossoms from you is going to have some of your essence to it as well. And if what you're passionate about is spiritual activism or activism or social justice or social change, period, that's going to show up in your work naturally because it's what you're interested in. So I would say like from a sort of esoteric, more theoretical level, you do the work, right? And like keep doing the work yourself. I know that you're already doing it and don't be afraid of it and don't be afraid to show it to other people and to show up and to make mistakes. 
I am so scared to make mistakes all the time and I make mistakes constantly. And I'm saying this mostly to myself, Mackenzie, and less to you, but we need to just be okay making mistakes and be okay with sometimes being wrong and being able to come forward and say, actually, I changed my mind on this perspective or this stance now that I know better. And to do that really authentically and without self-flagellation, right? We can do it from a place of empathy for ourselves and the people around us. Because if we don't treat ourselves, if we're trying to do work to do to be better, right? And to progress the world and to be in community and to uplift other people and to basically destroy systems of oppression that exist in everything that we do, if we don't offer ourselves grace, then we're also by like the transitive property, not offering anyone else grace. <laughs> we're like so hard on ourselves and like we cancel ourselves for making sometimes bad choices or sometimes the wrong choice or sometimes an uneducated choice, then we're not leaving any breathing room for anyone else to potentially like walk down those same paths. And we learn through mistake making, right? That's how we become more human. It's how we have more empathy for each other. Obviously, if you do harm, you want to apologize and you want to make it right however you can and make repair. But I think that the most important step to building spiritual activism into your business is to doing that work yourself and talking about it in a way that feels authentic to you. And then you can also, you know, make sure that you're creating a safe space for people to come into. Something we don't think about all the time, and it's definitely something holisticism could do better, but if we're not actively showing people and not just telling them that this safe is accessible and inclusive for them, then it's not, right? If you don't see anyone who looks like you reflected in the imagery of a business or a brand, if you don't see any language that reflects your identity referred to in emails and on social media, if you don't see like inclusive content that has things like captioning and you're someone who needs captioning, then it's kind of like an automatic, oh, I don't really belong here. Even if someone says we accept and we embrace all people and we want everyone to be here. So make sure that the space you're creating is safe for the people that you want to invite in. To, to It's safe for them. <laughs> you're not putting them in danger or potentially in harm. And I think that's all I want to say. And, and then be patient and keep doing it, you know, keep doing it. And keep reaching out of your comfort zone and doing things that feel scary <laughs> and feel risky. And by the way, like ask people, the people that you're trying to call in and you're trying to support, ask them what they need. That's, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is I can think that I know the answers, but I'm usually wrong because <laughs> I'm limited in my perception and my understanding, right? So when I ask the people who I'm trying to support, what's actually supportive to you? They tell me, you know, they, they tell me, no, we don't need another free class. What we need is like to get paid for X, Y, Z thing. Okay, great. Cool. I can do that. Or I can figure out a way to make that happen. Or I can like build a community around that as a future vision. And again, be patient. You might not be able to do everything you want to do immediately, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't start. You know, one of my big dreams right now is to fund small businesses and people who have a marginalized identity as founders and to give them money to run their businesses. And right now I don't have the money in my bank account yet. We're going to get there for sure. And that doesn't mean that I can't start helping now, right? So that's why we built the Visionary in Residence program because, yeah, 
we want to give people resources. We want to give them money. But there are a lot of other resources that I have access to, my team, my brain, my community, my mentors, the people I've worked with in the past, my my little, you know, address book of my contacts. There are so many resources that I can give from. So why wouldn't I just start? Why wouldn't I just start with what I've got? So I don't know if any of this is tracking, but that would be my recommendation. Start with what you've got and build on from there. I say this a lot. Start with simplicity to grow up to complexity. You just need to start simple. You don't need all the fancy software. You don't need the fancy plans. Those are great. Grand plans are awesome. But if you're waiting for the grand plan to come together, you're just going to be waiting for the rest of your life. So just get started. Start simple, start small, start slow, and be resilient and keep going. And I think honestly, that advice can go for pretty much anything. So I hope that helps. Hi, Michelle and the team at Holisticism. Um, I wanted to, well, this is Jamie. I wanted to ask a question about how to build feedback into your creative process. Um, I really think that it's helpful to have a way for people to give you information that you may not be able to see while you're functioning within your business. And I'd love to have some ideas about how to do this in a more natural or organic way and how to make it so that the person who is giving the feedback feels seen and feels safe and that they can really, uh, I guess, be a little bit maybe more critical or honest about what feedback they're giving. Thank you. Jamie, this is such a good question. I hope everyone out there who's listening is like somewhat trembling and like, fuck, I have to get feedback on my shit. God damn it. But also excited to dive into getting feedback. I got really good advice a long time ago from a mentor who said, don't run away from bad news. (laughs) Because as creators, as founders, as people who are deeply passionate about what we're building, we don't want to hear the bad news about what we've made, right? We will dig our head in the sand. Think about when you do this with your bank account, right? When you just don't look at it. Or maybe if something's not going right in your relationship, you just pretend everything's going fine and maybe it'll go away, right? And If you want to have, I think, a successful life, like a rich life that's constantly growing and evolving and leveling up, then you have to be open to feedback and you have to also be open to bad feedback, right? Or or bad news. I would rather get bad news and course correct than like live in delusion personally, because if you catch bad news early, then you can pivot earlier in the plan, right? Imagine if you started building a house and from the very jump, your foundation was crooked and your contractor said, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. I'm just not going to tell them, right? It's not a big deal. Maybe it'll even out, you know, California. (laughs) It's the opposite of what would happen. And then you continue to build, right? You build more things and you build the actual structure and then you put the walls up and then you put the water and the heat and the HVAC and the, you know, all the piping and you've got finally put that the roof on the house and then you move in and every single thing is crooked and your house falls down the next time there's an earthquake and it's like okay listen if we had just known what the foundation was crooked that we needed to redo it then we would have probably saved ourselves millions of dollars and it would be it just would be better right we'd rather know now we'd rather hear our bad news like earlier on so we can pivot accordingly 
So if you're afraid of bad news or you're afraid of feedback and that's why you're not asking for it, I would just ask you to sort of like pause, maybe double click on that for yourself. Maybe look at your inner child and what you learned about being bad or being wrong and what you learned and you bring into your world today about what it means when you're wrong or what you make meaning of when you're wrong. So that's some spiritual work you can do around that. I know that I have some spiritual work to do around that. But in terms of building feedback into your business, there are so many different ways, right? One of the easiest ways is to build a feedback form into your nurture sequence. So if you're not a student of mine or you haven't taken email list magic, which is our free course to build emails, you want to set up a nurture sequence when people join your email list. And our goal always is to get people to join our email list because our email list is something that we can control. It's a really easy way for us to connect with our community and to build that know, like, and trust factor. And it's a, a genuine way to create a relationship between you and the people on the other end of your emails. Not that social media can't do that, but Social media is more of a parasocial relationship, meaning you don't have a one-to-one -one relationship. You can't really have a conversation the way that you can in email. Plus, you're spending more time with people in email than you often are on social in 15 seconds on a story or whatever. So in general, it's a better way. It's what you want to drive your traffic to. Plus, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen so many creators I know get their Instagram accounts deleted out of nowhere recently. Like huge, huge Instagram creators are just like getting their shit taken offline and they were relying on that community to make their money. And so when Instagram deactivates you overnight, you better have a backup plan. And that's your email. So on your email list, when people join, you want to set up a nurture sequence. This is basically a set of emails that goes out to them. It says, hey, homie, welcome to the like the party. Let's have some fun. Here's who I am. Here's what you can expect from me. Here's what I'm going to deliver to you. Let's have fun. And inside of your nurture sequence, you want, probably want to send a couple of emails, usually three to five over a series of weeks or months as people are enjoying your content or they're shopping your products or they're enjoying your services. And after someone's been participating in your community or they've bought a service from you or they bought a product from you, it's really smart to send a really quick survey to ask them how that went. What was their experience? What was it like? In tech, this is called a net promoter score. This is basically a score that you get on the internet that says if you're likable or not, it's a scale from one to 10 and anything like below an eight is not good. And it's just a, you've probably filled out a net promoter score before. It's just a bar from one to 10 and it says how likely are you to rate this for a friend and you click whatever you want. So it's very, very normal to send out feedback and ask for feedback. It's not desperate. It's something that you need in order to do your business. And giving people the opportunity to give feedback anonymously is also really important because they don't want to be penalized for giving feedback that might feel harsh. You want to get honest answers from people, right? So I recommend setting up a type form or even a Google form that would go inside of your nurture sequence or immediately after someone books a session with you or after when someone buys a product from you that asks them to quickly rate their experience. Either it can be one question, you know, from one to 10, how did that go for you? Or it can be a couple questions long, like, did you enjoy your experience? Would you shop with us again? Any feedback for us to make our work better? And then it's also really helpful to have something to incentivize people to give that feedback. So you could give them a discount code to another session with you. You could give them a discount to buy more products. You could put them on a special VIP email list, something like that. 
And just remember that people who take the time to give feedback are already kind of a special breed. Most of us, when we enjoy something, we aren't if it's like, you know, a medium to good response or medium to good experience, we're like, cool, yeah, I don't want to think about that again. It was fine. <laughs> Sometimes your feedback is going to come from people who are angry. Think about Yelp. Think about who writes a Yelp review, right? You very rarely write a Yelp review when you had a great time, right? And other feedback will come from people who are your genuine super fans. So I like to put an option for people to put their email if they want it's and like make it totally optional. And if you get a great review from someone, thank them. Go out of your way to make them feel special. And even call them in for like a say that you really appreciated their, their feedback and you want to hear more. Can we hop on a call? That makes people feel really good and, and heard and seen. And that's important because you're building your business for your users, not for yourself. So it's important to get their feedback and to make them feel seen. Because if you do that, then you'll have super fans for life. So I hope that answers your question. Hi, Michelle and the 12th House podcast listeners. My question is regarding finding clarity. I really want to start my own business and I, I'm in the North Node. I just joined. Um, I'm also a full-time student, but I'm feeling so called and so pulled to just, to just start and start building on it now but I'm feeling very stuck on the exact offering that I want to provide people with. So, for example, I know my niche, I want it to be within the wellness space. I want to do more of the back-end stuff, but I'm having trouble deciding whether I want it to be more like creative direction and brand strategy and more design, or if I want it to be more of the, like, virtual assisting and kind of like operations role. So I'm I'm feeling very torn and I was wondering if you have any suggestions on how to find clarity or just get more confidence in how I want to begin approaching it and building on it. And yeah. So I look forward to hearing your your answer if this does get answered. Thank you so much. All right, Whitney, this is such a good question because like everyone has this question. Everyone wants more clarity on what it is that they're supposed to do with their wild, beautiful, fierce life. And when you first get started, it feels like you're like throwing darts into like the pitch black universe. <laughs> where you're like, sure hope I land somewhere. <laughs> I have no idea if this is right or not. So my recommendation would be to do shadow work. I think that our true purpose and what's most interesting and exciting to us is really the stuff that's like hidden inside that is a little scary to think about. That's intimidating. That's like where our deep shame lies, the things that we're embarrassed about, the things that we're like, we roll our eyes at in ourselves. Because our shadow typically is the part of us that is most like invigorating. It's the most enlivening. It like causes the most reaction inside of us for better or for worse. Most of the time for worse, because we haven't worked through our shadow and we haven't owned it and we haven't integrated it. So it's very dysregulating. Some people might use the word triggering, but I think that actually like when we work on our shadow, when we can kind of integrate it into ourselves, it's like the most interesting and exciting and like juicy part of us. So 
my recommendation for you, because you're in the North Node, would be to go through the shadow work module because it's a five-day shadow work challenge and it's really deep. It's really juicy. And to figure out like, what is it that you're really afraid of? And what are you really afraid of being known for? And what are you also like mm, a little embarrassed about? I'll give you an example. When I first started holisticism, I was embarrassed about a lot of things. (laughs) I was embarrassed about the fact that I was into wellness. I felt like everyone rolled their eyes because of things like goop and like, you know, hippie culture. Everyone rolled their eyes at wellness and well-being. And I felt like I had to like prove that I wasn't that in order to be taken seriously. And I also felt like I had to prove that I like as a woman to be taken seriously. And that was really infuriating to me. And I also would get so angry at the wellness space in general for just like how it avoided really difficult conversations, how it tried to be. So often I felt like people in the wellness space and media in the wellness industry tried to like act as if it was holier than thou or better than. I didn't feel like that was true. And I had a really big shadow around kind of even claiming that I liked wellness and well-being, even though it had been such a key component of my life for so long, because I didn't want to be associated with that. And I was almost obsessed with making wellness more accessible by way of just like making it less out there and esoteric and weird and making it more down to earth and grounded. And I was afraid to claim that because I didn't want to be a bitch and I didn't want to talk about other people and their work and be like, you are so out of touch, (laughs) like talking about your aliens and your 30 day water fast. Like, I'm sorry, but like most people are not into that and it's fine that you are, but like, can we not make that the ultimate version of wellness? Like that just doesn't make sense to me. So when I started holisticism, I had a lot of shame around like being mean and being a bitch and saying my piece about wellness. And I found that the more that I really talked about how I felt and my complex relationship with this space and how I don't have it figured out and I don't like know the perfect way to relate to the wellness and well-being industry. And sometimes I rage against it and sometimes I love and like lap up all of it. When I just was able to say, you know what, I'm not going to make peace with this anytime soon. So I can't wait to get started until I know what my response is. I just need to get started and I need to like muddle through it on my way and I'll find my way. I'll find my path as I start walking. You know, as you extend your foot out, this, the path appears, this, the next step appears and you have to trust that that's what's going to happen. So my recommendation would be to do some shadow work and to like find out what's inside of that. That's kind of holding you back because I have a feeling you probably have a really clear decision. Like you're really clear on what you want to do. And there's some part of you that's like saying that that's unacceptable or that you can't. So start with the shadow work and let us know how it goes. Okay. I moved from the bathtub because I was a little bit nervous that the audio was going to be bad. And I was like, oh my God, what if Wallace gets mad at me? Wallace is our head of content. I was like, oh, I'm making her job really hard. And what if it doesn't sound good? And also I'm turning into a slime monster. So I should probably get out of the bathtub. It was a good 45 minute run we had. Now I'm fully clothed recording this podcast. So let's get into our next question from Diana. My name is Diana Siva, and my question is about how to keep your community engaged. 
Um, I'm really building something special with the cannabis-enhanced yoga community that I've built over the pandemic, and I'm just having, like, you know, the same people showing up uh, every month, and it's really growing into this, like, beautiful, loving, family-type feeling. So I created a Mighty Networks, and it's, you know, it's crickets over there, and <laughs> that tells me um, there's something that I need to do or shift, you know, so more people can connect with each other in between classes. Oh, I love this question. I love these back-to-back questions about community. I also want to encourage you, Diana, and anyone out there, first off, like give yourself a pat on the back because one of the hardest things to do is to identify where there should be community. You know, all we're doing is all day long experimenting and problem solving as human beings. It's like literally what human brains were made to do is just like solve problems. And that's sometimes why we create our own problems. Like we create problems for ourselves sometimes. And there's a tipping point where you're experimenting with something. You're like, you know, throwing some stuff at the wall when you kind of have to decide, oh, this is something like there's something happening here. And it's like a little spark has ignited. And it's your responsibility to either sort of nurture that spark, add some kindling, you know, add some breath to it and help it grow into a fire or not, you know, leave it to the elements and see what happens. And if it grows organically, great, but it probably won't, probably won't be some raging wildfire, you know, without a little bit of help. So I just want to applaud you, Diana, for noticing that there's community to be made because that's a huge step of identifying based on the information that we have. Information comes from intuition. Intuition is information. Information comes from feedback from our users when they resonate with the content that we're making or something that we've built. When they tell us outright, oh my gosh, it's like you're reading my mind or I love this so much or this is what I look forward to every week. And the data that comes in terms of our analytics and information from the websites and platforms that we're using. So we can see what our numbers look like over and over and over. That's our quantitative data, right? So kudos to you for noticing that there's something here and that it's like it wants to grow. And I really love this term digital campfire. My friend Sarah came up with it recently and I just love it. I think it's so cool. Sarah Wilson, she's super smart. And digital campfires are places on the internet where we can gather together in space and where we can nurture each other, right? Where we can nurture this fire together, where we're all co-creating space together. I love this framing of a digital campfire, especially because we have to take the spark of an idea, right? And we have to decide to make it a thing. We have to decide and create the space around it for it to grow into something that we can share with others, a digital campfire. The other thing with campfires is that no one person is responsible for them. While one person might start them, it's all of our responsibility to tend to the fire and to create that ambiance around it, to tell our spooky stories or to get honest and vulnerable or to cuddle up a little bit closer to a friend when it starts to get cold or to add more kindling to the flames so that the fire doesn't die. And we also have to mutually decide when the fire does die that we're ready for it to go down, that we're ready to part ways. It's no one person's idea or responsibility. So 
I really like this sort of metaphor and framework and digital campfires can happen anywhere. They can happen on, you know, Instagram, they can happen on Mighty Networks and Facebook groups and Reddit and on WhatsApp threads and on Twitch and, you know, on, on Discord servers and, and all the places where people are. So I think that that's a, another thing to think about is where do your people want to be? What is community to them? Because a community is a co-creative experience. It's something that we're doing together in unity. And while one person might start it, it's up to everyone else to sort of pick it up, pick up the ball moving forward and continue on and to let this thing grow. So I would ask your users and your, your, your community, like, what is it that you do want? You know, we're inculcated in capitalism and patriarchy. I say this all the time. You must be rolling your eyes hearing me say it, but I just want to remind everyone out there that it's everywhere all the time, constantly. And there's this reference that we talk about a lot, holisticism around how white supremacy shows up in the workplace. And there are a couple of different tenets that are very familiar that pop up consistently. Things like perfectionism and sense of urgency and paternalism. And paternalism is the idea that, well, I'm being a bit paternalistic right now because I'm being like didactic or pedantic, but you can look up what paternalism is. But in general, if you don't know, or you haven't heard this in conversation, or you don't know it in context of how it shows up in the workplace, it's that one person knows best. It's like father knows best, right? One person who's usually usually has a male identity or has some, you know, has some semblance of power is the person, the person at the top knows what's best and knows what's right, which is what we're taught at businesses and at companies, right? Well, the CEO is the person who's no, who knows what's right or the investors are the people who knows what, who know what's right. Or the oldest person here is the person that we should listen to. When in reality, if we were to divest from white supremacy in our workspaces and in our communities, then we would put the onus and the the agency back in the hands of the users of the community and say, actually, we know best. You know, we together as a hive mind probably know what's best for us. We don't really need someone to tell us what to do or to tell us what's good for us. I know what's good for me. And if I don't exactly know what's good for me in this moment, you know, what I don't need is someone just telling me the answer. What's most helpful is someone who can empower me to find the answer for myself. So I think that that's a key component too in building community is sort of stepping away from any paternalistic lens where we think we know best, which is really hard to do because that's like what we've been taught. And it's also what people expect. Even when you like try to give power back to people, sometimes they throw it at you and they're like, no, 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 you decide you're the boss, you're in charge. And so it's sort of this gentle welcoming in an opening of saying, you know, I think that you know what's best for you. I would love to hear your thoughts. I would love to hear what you want more of. I would love to hear what you need. I would love to hear how you want to be in community. And maybe your users will be like, let's do a WhatsApp chat every morning where we connect. And, you know, maybe every time you smoke a J, you drop a leaf into the WhatsApp community. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just spitballing here. But maybe it's a Zoom call every morning for five minutes where you all meditate together or a conference call line where you do the same thing, right? There are so many different options and opportunities. And 
the most important thing is, is like sort of giving that app or passing it over to your users and saying, okay, what is it that you need? How can I support you? And here's where the tricky balance of being an intuitive entrepreneur comes in because sometimes people will tell you what they think they need and what they think they want, but that might not actually be what they want truly. (laughs) And so you have to use your intuition and your empathy to say, okay, here's what you're telling me you want. Here's also what you're telling me is your biggest problem and your biggest pain point. And here's your desired outcome. And here's what you think the solution is. All right, with my lens, knowing what I know, getting all this feedback from all these people, my goal is to take that feedback in, listen to it, metabolize it, get out of my own ego and not immediately say that I know it's best. While also admit that I have some knowledge, right? I have some sort of like expertise here or some higher level of information because I'm able to see lots of people's responses. I'm able to see sort of like what's trending and what's happening in this space and then make the best decision from there. And that way you're still listening to your users. You're still putting that power in their hands to make community. And you're also finding the solution that you think is going to work best for everyone. And a huge part of community is creating for that digital campfire, making sure that it's a safe space for all of us to stand around that fire and showing, not just telling people that it's a safe space. So we do that by modeling, you know, how do we talk around to each other around this campfire? How do we show up to this campfire? What food do we bring? Do we bring blankets for other people? Like what's, what's appropriate to talk about here and and maybe what's not, maybe what, what should be saved for our intimate conversations in our own tents. And also not being so totalitarian that you're dictating to people exactly how to be an act. So I think it's a fine balance. I certainly don't do it perfectly, but that's what I've learned over the last couple of years is the best thing that you can do is ask people what they want and empower them to do what they want, right? Give them just enough tools to feel supported and, and go somewhere that they didn't know what potentially was possible for them on their own while also saying, you've got this, you don't need me to be your, I don't know, your bumpers, your baby bumpers or your, your, your training wheels. You can do this and I believe in you. And when you need help, just let me know. And that's like the coolest thing ever because we want our community to go on without us, right? That's the same thing with a campfire. When you start a campfire, you might not be the one that ends it. Maybe you're the one who goes to bed early. That's totally who I am. (laughs) And you want it to go on without you. You don't want the party to be over just because you leave, right? You want to have the freedom to like pass that flame, that pass the torch literally to another person. So I hope that answers your question, Diana. And congratulations on just noticing and seeing what people are responding to and recognizing that there's an opportunity here to be made and there's a community to be built. So I'm excited for you. All right. Our next question is from Hannah Lee. Hi, everyone. My question is about outreach, specifically cold outreach. How do I contact somebody that I've had no communication with before but would love to work with without coming across salesy or like I'm trying to get something from them? Okay. A cold email. One of my least favorite things to do. <laughs> so first off, I just want to say everything is transactional. Like everything is transactional. We got to get over this, like being worried that people are going to think that we're like using them for something. We live in a transactional world. <laughs> like, you know, 
and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't have to be like gross and icky and capitalist. It's just, you know, every action has an energetic exchange to it. And sometimes it's a really good energetic exchange and it feels fair and sometimes it's not, but there's still a transaction being completed there. So let's make trans like the idea of relationships or emails being transactional. Like let's not make that such a taboo icky thing. That's the truth. When you're reaching out to someone to work with them, you're not like reaching out to be best friends. You're reaching out because you want something that they have because you see value in them. And like, let's just own that, you know, <laughs> you know, I would rather someone be upfront with me and say like, you know, I see value in a business relationship together than have them kind of just try to be my homie. Personally, I like people who are upfront and maybe that's because I'm really upfront. I don't know, but that's my unpopular opinion about it. Also as someone who has, let's just check my inbox. I have over 1100 emails in my inbox right now. So sorry if you emailed me and I haven't emailed you back. I have kind of definitely a wild stance on email. None of these emails are spam emails or bad emails by any stretch of the imagination. I usually get through my like sort of newsletter emails from people pretty quickly and delete those out of my inbox. And I've unsubscribed from a lot of things as well. These are emails that from usually from people who have asked for something like a cold reach out or have asked a question or, you know, replied back to an email. And I just haven't gotten around to getting back to them yet. And I'm not proud of that, but I'm also pretty proud of the fact that it doesn't keep me up at night like it used to. I used to have like have to have a zero email inbox and it was really exhausting. At this point, I get like over 400 emails a day. So this is good. <laughs> and if I don't get to every single person's email, that's because I'm running a company and I'm prioritizing my users, my team, my students, and then myself. And anyone who doesn't fall underneath that cat in that category is probably not going to get a response from me unless I see, can prioritize responding to them. So I think this is something that we just need to understand in general about human beings is that we have a limited capacity for decision-making and that's because we have, we are constantly prioritizing. We're asked to constantly prioritize the things in our life, right? We've talked about decision-making fatigue before on Monday, our, our episode about Monday, hour one. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper into this, I'd scroll back through the feed and I'd listen to that episode. It's super helpful just for like planning your life and being a little bit more productive in a helpful way, but also in understanding kind of how like human brains work. So we make a billion decisions all day long. When you wake up in the morning, you have to make the decision about whether you want to sleep in or you want to wake up. That's decision number one. Then you walk out of your bedroom and you have to decide, do I take out the dog or do I grab water first? That's decision number two. Then it's, should I look at my phone or should I leave my phone on the dock? Should I make a coffee? Should I make a matcha? Should I meditate? Should I exercise? You know, we are constantly making decisions and eventually we reach decision fatigue where around midway through the day, we've made so many micro decisions without even really sort of clocking it for ourselves that we're exhausted. We're like <sighs> salad or soup for lunch. I don't fucking care. Just like <laughs> I'm hungry. I don't care. And we notice as our decision fatigue starts to wear on us, it makes it much more difficult to make better decisions as the day goes on. So this is why like when you get to your fridge at the end of a really long day, and I, I, this happened to me yesterday and I've got all this leftover birthday cake from my birthday 
and it's really good. (laughs) And I'm not really a cake person, but my mom made this cake for me and it's so good. And I'm obsessed with it. And it's pure, pure sugar. You guys, like I'm breaking out so bad right now because I don't normally eat this much sugar, but I cannot help myself when it comes to this cake. And I've been trying to just have, you know, a small slice after dinner. But yesterday I was so exhausted. I was on a million Zoom calls. I was like, oh, I've made so many decisions today. I cannot deal. And instead of taking the five to 10 minutes to like think about what I wanted to eat and then cook that thing, I was just like, oh, I can't decide what I want to eat. I'll just eat this giant slice of cake like with my hands, like a rabid animal. And it tasted so good, but it also was like three o'clock in the afternoon and I hadn't really eaten anything else all day. And I immediately didn't feel good because I got diabetes. I'm kidding. But you know, like, cause my sugar shot through the roof and I was like, oh my God, I'm about to go into a coma. It was like kind of worth it because it tasted amazing. But long story short, my decision making fatigue was like at a peak place, right? So my ability to to prioritize what's important to me, which is like my health, my emotional well-being, and how I'm going to feel later, that went out the window because my number one priority was how starving I was and how stressed I was. And so I reached for the thing that was going to immediately satisfy my hunger and my stress levels. So we're constantly making decisions all day long. And we are making our decisions and reprioritizing all day, constantly. So we're reprioritizing what's important to us. And as we get more tired or as we get more fatigued from our decisions, usually the things that we prioritize are like the things that are gnawing at us, like on the human level. So like if we're hungry, if we're tired, if we want to have sex, like if we just want to like laugh, if you think about maybe your behaviors, like towards the end of the day, if you reach for your phone and you're like endlessly scrolling through Instagram or TikTok, I don't know. I don't know. Who am I calling out right now? Certainly not myself. Or you want like sweet foods or, you know, like guilty pleasure foods. I don't really believe in guilty pleasures, but you get what I'm saying. I don't think that we should call them that. I feel like that's diet culture but I digress. It's because we are prioritizing sort of like our base instincts as opposed to like the self-actualized versions of who we are. So for example, if I was like prioritizing my best self, the, the being the best version of myself, instead of like zooming through TikTok, I would probably open up the one of many books that I have to read that I've bought that I thought, oh my God, I need to read this book immediately that I just haven't read yet because I've been tired and I didn't want to prioritize my, you know, intellectual capabilities and my self-actualization. I wanted to prioritize just like laughing at dogs on TikTok. I'm getting in the weeds with this, but the point is every single decision that humans make is about them prioritizing, deciding a priority, deciding what's most important to them. So we need to understand this when people are buying things. So if you have a small business, you have to understand prioritization and how the prioritization of your users works. This is why people use things like sense of urgency, which is like super icky and gross and scarcity, also super icky and gross in their sales tactics. When they say, only two spots left or you doors close at midnight. You have to book by, you know, doors close. You'll never be able to get this again. That's scarcity. And because we know that something is going to be, it's going to be limited. We're never going to be able to get access to it again. We are asked to reprioritize that decision. So let's say that I have, I see someone who's going to sell a pair of candlesticks online, right? I'm just using candlesticks because that's what I'm looking at on my altar right now. 
So I see someone who is selling some candlesticks. They're beautiful. And they send an email and they're like, hey, got these candlesticks in the store. Check them out. Great. I might actually really need a new pair of candlesticks. In fact, maybe I don't have candlesticks and I've been dying to get some and that's been on my to-do list for a while. And so when that pops up, I'm like, oh, great. I can get these. I've been wanting to get these for a while, but I haven't prioritized them for a reason. So maybe I'll get around to buying those candlesticks, but probably what's going to happen is someone's going to email me with something that is urgent that needs to get covered right now. Or my partner is going to text me and say, Hey, actually I'm running an hour late. I know you're making dinner. Can you just like put it in the oven or stop cooking or like chill out for a sec because I'm going to be late for dinner. So now I'm asked to prioritize two other things or three other things. Maybe your kid starts crying. Maybe you get a phone call. Maybe you have to hop into a meeting. You're prioritizing the things that are required, that need you right now. And those candlesticks can wait because they're not going anywhere. They're not like life or death situation. And although I really want them and I'm actually like an ideal client to buy them, they're just not a priority right now. And that's okay. I'll prioritize them when I need them, which maybe I'll need them for some ritual or maybe I'll need them because my friends are coming over and I want my house to look good. And then they'll become a priority for me. But right now they're not a priority for me. So what can I do as this shop owner who has all these beautiful candlesticks? Well, I need to figure out how to prioritize my candlesticks for the people who want them. Maybe I say something like, there's only 20 candlesticks available. Once they're gone, they're gone. These are limited edition or these are vintage. So you won't be able to find anything like them again. That would definitely ask me to think about reprioritizing that purchase because, oh, now there's some there's some limit limit to this, right? I won't be able to get it again. Then I really need to ask myself, and this is the thing with prioritization. We're not telling people that they need to buy something or that they have to make a decision in the affirmative. We're just asking them to prioritize whether it's a deciding on it, whether it's a yes or a no, because that candlestick email can sit in my inbox. And what I'm basically doing is putting it in purgatory. I'm saying, you know what? I'm not going to make a decision one way or another about buying these things. I'm still thinking about it. I'm still not sure. I'm on the fence. I'm not, it's not a full out no, but it's certainly not a full body yes. So I'm just going to like chill. And if you have a store, if you have a service, if you sell products, you want people to shit or get off the pot. Sorry to like use sort of a brash terminology, but like you want people to get off the fence. You want to help them make a decision because actually it's like really painful to be in purgatory. (laughs) It's really painful for your user to like not know one way or the other what they want. And that's actually why we put off making decisions and why we don't open, like why we would leave that email in our inbox and sort of not look at it and sort of file it away and avoid it because it's uncomfortable to not, to like be wishy-washy, to not know one thing or another. And you can help your users get out of pain by helping them make a decision one way or another, whether you're right for them or not, or your product's right for them for not or not, or your service is right for them or not. So there are lots of ways that you can do this through the way that you create your copy, through the way that you, you open your doors for a service or for a product. And there are many ways to do this ethically. I think a lot of people do this unethically because this is just how human nature works. And I'm going to get to how it impacts Hannah's question about cold emailing in a second. 
But there are certainly ways to do this ethically. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the time we see scarcity mindset and we see like gross sales tactics really like take advantage of this understanding that we need to have people prioritize, we need to make people prioritize decisions and they really manipulate that which is really gross and I don't approve of. But going to back to Hannah's question about cold emails, if we take this into consideration that all we need to do is, or what we really need to think about is how we can get someone to prioritize our email, then all of a sudden I think a cold email becomes much more like doable because you just have to ask yourself, all right, how am I going to make this an important email for someone? Or how am I going to make it easy for someone to prioritize answering this email? And coming to a determination one way or another, whether they want to work with me or they don't want to work with me and, or if they want to move forward or they don't want to move forward. So for, I know for me, I'll just speak from personal experience. If I get a cold email from someone that says, Hey, love your work. Would love to pick your brain. It's an immediate no for me. (laughs) It's an immediate no. Actually, nothing makes me more mad. I don't, I think it's so rude to say that because it like our time is so valuable. Each and every one of us, our time is so valuable. And to, if you don't value your time, that's okay. Like you're allowed to not value your time, but I value my time. So for you to say like, can I just pick your brain as if my time isn't really valuable is like a little bit rude to me. To me. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but Anyways, I don't like those types of emails. I also think that they just show up as they're often really unprofessional. And the times, the many times that I have said, Pels on, you're being an asshole, just like take the person to coffee. It's not that big of a deal. It's actually been like enormously unhelpful and borderline, absolutely a waste of my time, which I hate saying, but like, cause I don't like that I'm proving the point that these, those types of emails very rarely work out, but that's my experience, unfortunately. So sorry, if you've ever written me an email that said, can I pick your brain? And I said, no, it's because I've had really bad experiences with that in the past. What is a better way to get someone to prioritize meeting with you and working with you, which is inevitably what you want, right? You're reaching out because you want to work together is telling them what they're going to get out of the situation, right? Remember everything is transactional. Everything's an energetic exchange. So let's just be upfront about it. What I would do is say, Hey, so-and-so love your work. I would show that like, I'm deeply interested and invested in what they do. I've kept up with their latest, you know, podcast or their email or their blog post. I know about their history. I know about what they're working on. And I'd say, here's my proposition. Here's what I'd like to work with you on. Here's the value I bring to the table. Here's how it will help you. Are you interested? And if so, can we hop on a 15 minute call to get the ball rolling? I think that something like that, (laughs) that's really clear and direct where it's obvious the person's done their work and they are going to do the heavy lifting. They're going to make it, that makes it really easy for me to say yes, especially as someone who is prioritizing her business, her employees, her customers, herself and her family. I don't have a lot of room to prioritize other people, especially strangers and to prioritize their needs. And that's effectively what we're doing when we're partnering, right? Is like, we're adding someone else's needs onto our plate. And so 
I have to make the decision as a business owner and as a person, right? If I'm open to taking that on, if I have bandwidth to taking that on. And if I do, fab- fabulous, right? Amazing. And if I don't, like, I would rather just tell you up front rather than dance around each other for a couple of months and say like, hey, sorry, not interested. Thanks, but no thanks. In the kindest way possible. So Hannah, I think that, I think I answered your question, which is, it's a transactional email and that's okay. It's an energetic exchange and that's fine. Be upfront about what you want and what you think the value you can provide to the person on the other end of that email is. Remember, you're just trying to get them to prioritize the decision making process of saying either yes or no. We want to get an answer back. We don't want to just be like sitting in the liminal waiting room forever, right? We want to like get out of purgatory and be able to move on with our lives and not waste energy, like waiting for people to respond to us. So make it really easy for people to say yes to you by doing your homework, having a clear ask, making it very, very simple for them and beneficial for them, a no brainer for them to say yes to working with you. And also give a clear directive for how you want people to respond. So that's something that often gets missed in emails too, is saying something like at the very end of your email, say like, let's, are you down to hop on a 15 minute call? Or are you up to meeting for coffee for 15 minutes to talk about this? Or when's a good time for me to connect with you on the phone? right? Something that they can reply back to like a question that can really help your response rate as well. And it's a little less like, you know, bossy and telling people what to do. So I hope that helps and good luck. (laughs) Okay. And finally, I have two more questions. One is an anonymous question and it came in as a text. So I'm going to read it out loud. I have a question for the podcast. I recorded it, but my tone comes across as stressed right now. I feel that. So now I'm just going to type it. I'm someone with so many ideas and desires for what I want to create. I also have a very overactive mind, so it can be hard to focus on one thing. How do I choose what to start when it comes to creating an intuitive business? Oh man, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? I think that this is so interesting how all these questions ended up being kind of around like priorities and community. I think that that's what it goes down and back to, right? Is what is most important for you. Like what is the most important thing? And listen, everything's fucking important. Like everything feels important when you first get started, but you have to start somewhere. So, you know, when you first get started, it's like, okay, it's important to set up the LLC and it's important to set up the email and it's important to set up the website and to set up the Instagram and to get the branding and to do the copywriting and blah, blah, blah. It's it's so dizzying. And it's like, where do I even start? I think the best place to start is with the place that you're most interested and excited by and lit up by. So start there. I'd say the second most important place to start is with building community for any business. If you build community, you can monetize and you can grow from there. You know, you don't have to have a product or service or even an idea of how you want to monetize yet. But if you can build community, which we've talked about so much in this episode already, you have an opportunity to sort of like launch above and beyond in the future. And you have so many options for how you end up end up making that a, a true, a real business, right? So I would say focus on building that community and that, how does that look for you? Maybe that means like hosting some events. Maybe that means getting online and meeting people. Maybe that means doing user interviews to find out more about who your ideal client is. But start with what's most interesting to you first and then start building your community. I think that those are my two recommendations. 
Last question. I'm going to try and condense it. It was a write-in. So this question says, how can we continue to move forward when the world feels so uncertain and unclear? Hmm. (laughs) That's a good question. Excuse me while I just go have an existential breakdown. No, I'm kidding. I don't know if I'm like equipped to answer this question. So I'll just like answer it as a person from my personal perspective. This year has been incredibly uncertain for many people. And for many of us, the life that we thought we wanted to have, the trajectory that we thought we were on was either we like, you know, stomped on the brakes and went flying out of the window, the windshield, or we took a very sharp left turn into something different into maybe like an unpaved road or like straight into a forest where there was no road. (laughs) And I think I've talked a little bit about my personal life on this podcast before because my partner is super open about it, but my partner has brain cancer. And so we talk about uncertainty a lot. It's just kind of something that has always been part of our relationship. I met him after he was diagnosed and he has a pretty serious form of brain cancer. And like one of our first conversations, I was like, so are you dying or what? (laughs) You know, like, is this a are you just like trying to get, you know, trying to get laid before, before you like peace out of here and check out a life or what? And he's very much alive. He will outlive me. I am certain of that. If any, he's an extraordinary person. So the odds don't really apply to Ethan, but we like many people who deal with chronic illness and I have epilepsy and I was diagnosed when I was 17. So if you have chronic illness or you're adjacent to chronic illness, you know that nothing is ever promised and nothing's certain, right? And the thing is like nothing is, <laughs> you know, you're just closer to it when it's more in your face, when it's like more present to you. Nothing is promised to us, nothing except death, not to be a total Debbie Downer. And so in these days or moments where life feels meaningless and empty, when it feels like there's no next step or like there's no clear pathway or things are so up in the air, it's like, how can we even move forward? Things are in such a disarray. The thing is, it's kind of always like that. We're just like choosing to pretend many times to delude ourselves into thinking that there that that it's that tomorrow is promised to us that it's an inevitable when the truth is it's not nothing is promised to us <laughs> again Ethan and I are both have Scorpio moons so I feel like you know we we have this conversation a lot we talk about it a lot but uh, you know life is meaningless and empty and we give life meaning we make it full we decide that it is something that's worth living. I mean that truly as like someone who struggles with depression and often feels like, why, what is the point of this? <laughs> you know, Like, why am I doing this thing? So especially like when I'm having a not so good day, but then I get to just remind myself that like, oh, the point is like life. The point is to live. The point is to like choose a better story. And often I, I think from my personal experience, when we've been motivated by external factors like material possessions or accolades or fame or becoming Beyonce's best friend, you know, things that people want outside of us, 
and our world is rocked, our worldview is rocked, or things begin to feel uncertain, then we really start questioning what the point of all those things were, right? What to what end? Like why? Why get to the million dollar mark or why buy the house in private island? Like why fly private? Like what's the point of all this stuff if life is meaningless and empty? What is the point of killing yourself or like hustling or to this, that, and the other thing just for these things that don't mean anything really. And if I think when we have these moments of like dark nights of the soul, or when we sort of get thrown off our path because of the path that we decided that we wanted because of circumstances that are out of our control, for example, global pandemics or horrible health diagnoses or something else, you know, the person you thought you were going to marry breaks up with you and you don't have any say in that. I think it it often is like this come to Jesus moment of like, oh fuck, what's important to me and what actually matters? And how can I find purpose in my day to day? And for me, the point on my best days when I can remember this is I'm here to live and I'm also like here to explore and do the things that light me up and inspire me and excite me and delight me and to help other people do that too. And so when things feel uncertain, well, as long as I have that, that is certain. Like I can keep doing that. There's a reason for me to wake up in the morning and do that because I enjoy it because it's fun because I like it because it makes me happy because it helps other people. And if we have the, the luck, the great luck in our lives to experience those moments that shake us up to reality and like sort of wipe the fog out of our eyes and show us like, you don't get a tomorrow. You don't necessarily get a tomorrow. So stop acting like it's an inevitable. It's not. Start living now. If we're lucky to get those moments early in our lives, I hope and I pray that we like we're able to keep that focus and that attention and just remember like you're here to be on purpose. And you're not here to just like make buttloads of money and, you know, backstroke. <laughs> Mr. Duxworth style, like through a money pile, like you're here to live. You're here to live. So don't forget that. (laughs) And, you know, nothing's promised to us and nothing is certain. So we can't project too far into the future. And we also like can't get involved in the outcome, right? We got to stay like present. And that's really hard to do. Like so much easier said than done. But good advice that someone once gave me is all you need to worry about is the next best step. So all you need to worry about is taking the next step. You don't need to worry about running the marathon. You don't need to worry about the next hundred years. You just need to worry about the next step in front of you because that's what you can see and that's what you can control, or that's at least what you have a choice around, right? We can't really control much, but we have choices. And so what's the next best step going to be? And then you take another step after that. And then you take another step after that. And eventually you're walking and eventually you're running and you've gotten a lot farther than you thought you would. And as long as you're, you keep in your mind's eye, that sense of purpose, you'll never get off the path. You know, you'll never step off the path because you're like simultaneously creating the path, right? You're like forging your own path and you're choosing it. So as long as you're choosing it, like you're not going to stray too far don't need to worry. And I think also in these moments of certainty or uncertainty, I should say, 
we can just be gentle with ourselves and know that we don't have to have a right answer. We don't have to have a 10-year plan or a five-year plan or even a three-month plan, really, if we don't want to. That's okay, too. We can grieve our (laughs) delusion of certainty for a little while, and then it's time for us to sort of shake it off and make the next best step. I don't know if that was helpful or not. I'm, I'm going to hope it was. <laughs> I hope it didn't come off as really depressing. But we always have choice in some element of our lives. And we can't control a lot of things. Like we can actually control very little, which infuriates me <laughs> to no end as a control freak. But we do have the opportunity to choose and choose how we see the world. And also like choose to change the world if we don't like what we see. Okay. So let's end on that really light note. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for writing in your questions. So many businessy questions today, which I love. And we'll do some more Ask Me Anything Q&As. So send them in. You can write into the podcast at hello at oholisticism.com and then put in the subject line question for the podcast and we'll make sure to save those little cues. It's an unmonitored inbox. So don't be alarmed by the reply message that you get. Just know that we'll get it eventually. We'll look for your questions when the time rolls around for the next podcast and you can ask about anything you want. I would love to hear from you. All right. With that, I'm going to just say thank you for being part of our community and listening to this podcast and sharing it with your friends and liking it and rating and reviewing and subscribing. It all really makes a difference. When you write a review, that boosts us up on the charts. When you share it with your friends, that boosts us up on the charts and that gets us seen by more people. And that makes all of these, gosh, we've got almost like 40 episodes now that are so jam-packed with juicy, incredible info, gets them out to the people that need them. And we really appreciate that. We make this thing for free and it takes a lot of our resources and time. So we are happy when to see it out there in the world and helping people. So thank you for sharing it with your friends. And if you can give us a five-star review and and write, write it a little blurb, it means so much. It again, helps us get found by other people and also helps us get sponsors for this podcast, which is sweet because then we can make even more cool stuff and bankroll really cool projects that benefit you, our listeners and our community. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that and sharing the wealth and the knowledge. We appreciate you and we love you. And I think that's all that I've got for you today. Profitable Content Creator Lab is opening up soon. All of these questions were kind of around community and to me, like what we're talking about inside PCCL. PCCL is a four-week course on making profitable content, whether those are courses or memberships or eBooks, things that you sell on the internet. And it's really fun. It's a really good time. And we've got so much juicy good stuff for people who join. We've got a whole module on human design with our human design reader, Ariana Mag, which is going to be so exciting. We have weekly meetups with our hypnotherapist, Maggie Saunders, and from the Now is Golden, where we're doing deep dives on like we're basically creating like deep work spaces. So we'll go through a hypnosis with Maggie and then you've slotted off the time to do some deep work and really get in flow. It's gonna there's so much more that's I'm like so excited about. But if you wanna learn more about PCCL, make sure that you're on the email list for holisticism. The doors will open in 
April and it's going to be really fun. I'm also teaching a bunch of free classes called recession proof skills. And the next one is actually next week. So sign up for that because it's free. And when I teach, I teach, I go hard. So it will not be a light and fluffy class or webinar. It is like a deep dive. And let me actually check my schedule and see what our very first class is on because I'm teaching four classes on recession-proof skills because we are in a bit of a recession or we're about to hit a bit of a recession. So it is um, very valuable to know. <laughs> so our very first class is on the 26th, Friday the 26th, and it's recession-proof skills, building a magical community. So if you want to learn more about building community, which we talked about in this episode, then sign up for class. It's free. You can join at the Holisticism Hub. It's on Friday, March 26th at 2 p.m. The next class in recession-proof skills is profitable content creation. That's on Friday, April 2nd. On Friday, April 9th, I'm teaching conscious copywriting for spellcasting. And then on the 16th, I'm teaching the class launching your own products and being your own boss. Obviously, all of these come from an intuitive business perspective, and I'll be sharing lots of juicy info about how we have a multi six figure business at Holisticism, but more importantly, how you can sort of meld your intuitive creative side with your intuitive business side to help people in your community and get them like juicy knowledge that's in your brain out to the world around you to make the world a better place and to get you paid for it. Cause like, that's really important. You know, you're already making content out there in the world, either super consciously or not so consciously, you might as well get paid for your time and energy, you know, and have people see it. So all those classes are free. You can join them in the holisticism hub. I would love to see you in there. I fucking love teaching class. The teacher is one of my main archetypes. So it's something that I really enjoyed doing. And the more the merrier. Thanks for listening to this super long episode. You're the best. We love you. And I'll see you on the internet. Bye.